Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, Episode 26, Exotic Terrains in Washington. Thanks for listening. Exotic terrains, we've got it figured out, at least at the cursory level from the last episode. The goal today is to narrow our focus to the great state of Washington and give some specific locations and specific sites that can help us see how the exotic terrain story, which is a North American story, which is actually a worldwide story, uh, helps us understand the geology here in the uh, state of Washington. Uh, We will, along the way, speculate on the validity of something called Baja BC. We will deal with kind of a side effect of all this terrain accretion stuff coming in. And finally, we'll kind of lay the groundwork for the next two episodes where we talk about gold and blue agates, which are both highly prized here in central Washington and how that fits into this story. Okie dokie. Great. So the exotic terrain thing from last episode uh, was all-encompassing, major ideas, and let me uh, hit the main message uh, as it pertains to this episode from the last episode, if that makes any sense. The main message is when we have this giant ocean plate called the Farallon Plate moving east and subducting beneath the leading edge of North America— We're going to create volcanoes at the coastline. That's always the main side effect of subduction, right? Major volcanoes and presumably great earthquakes as well, by the way. That's kind of an interesting thought. But the last episode was talking about these gifts, these presents that are all lined up, these giant gumdrops that are riding on this conveyor belt, this Farallon conveyor belt. And if you're confused why there would be all these gumdrops riding on this ocean plate, uh, you know, it's difficult to speculate specifically. uh, But last episode, I gave a couple of examples like Baja, California, or the Hawaiian hotspot creating some things. So for this episode, uh, they're all lined up. They're all out there, and they're ready to come in and add or accrete uh, to the edge of North America at our latitude. Or maybe not at our latitude. That's a little teaser for a little bit later in this episode. So to set the stage, let's go back 200 million years. Are you willing to do that? 200 million years ago is a significant date for us because so far in this series, 200 million years ago is when Pangaea, the supercontinent, the most recent supercontinent of planet Earth, is just starting to break up. The breakup of Pangaea and the opening of the Atlantic Ocean 200 million years ago. With me? Good. Well, where was the west coast of North America during Pangaea time? The answer is Spokane, Washington. There's great evidence that at Spokane, Washington, we had a coastline for tens of millions of years, maybe hundreds of millions of years, not maybe, for sure, hundreds of millions of years. That was the old coastline. And that line that you drew on your map in last episode from Edmonton to Spokane to Salt Lake City to Las Vegas was the line that separated 
old North America with a platform and a craton with, quote-unquote, new North America, which is all these terrains that have been added. So that, that line that you drew actually is separating terrains on the west from no terrains on the east. And therefore, that line is the old coastline. Great evidence for that. We can get into it down the road, I guess, if you like, to make sure that we know that that was a, a long-lasting shoreline of North America. But the point is, as Pangaea starts to break up, the Farallon plate begins to dive. And we have an active plate boundary for the first time in a long time at Spokane, or on the west edge of the North American plate, which was smaller. The edge of the North American continent was the edge of the North American plate. So we start, 200 million years ago, a trench and a convergent oceanic versus continental plate boundary. So if you like, we can think of some beautiful cascade-like volcanoes to the east of Spokane, 100 miles inland of the trench. And there are remnants of those volcanoes from that time. Another topic for another day. One that I've always meant to figure out, actually. Note to self. But here we go. The Farallon Plate starts subducting. And those terrains, those gumdrops out in the water, some of them islands, some of them seamounts, some of them truly continental-sized blocks, other little dinky little pimples, they're all coming to us as fast as the Farallon plate is moving and in the direction that the Farallon plate is driving. The first terrain to accrete I'll give you the cartoonish version. Again, there's devil in all of these details here. The first terrain to accrete we call the Kootenay terrain. K-O-O-T-E-N-A-Y, I believe. And that Kootenay terrain accretes 175 million years ago. Now, we've got to be careful, and this is always a point of confusion for students. If we're talking about exotic terrains and we suddenly write down a bunch of dates we got to make sure, what is the date? Is the date the age of the rock in the terrain? Or is the date the age of accretion, which is simply just the, uh, the date of adding that piece of land? Two different things. I don't know why it's so confusing for students, but it is. So the age of the Kootenay material is far older than 175. To be honest, I don't remember the date, actually, of some of the rocks in the Kootenay terrain older than 175. But we're writing down the number 175 million years for the Kootenay terrain, meaning that's the timing of adding this thing. It no longer is an island. It suddenly has been transferred from the oceanic Farallon plate onto the edge of the North American plate. North American plate has gained real estate. The coastline is now a little further west. Let's continue more subduction of the Farallon plate. The next gumdrop is inching closer and closer to the edge of North America. And at 150 million years ago, the Okanagan terrain is accreted. Again, the age in the Okanagan material goes back to the Precambrian, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about 150 million years ago, the act of accreting, of adding, 
that big block of land. Now the Okanagan terrain is bigger than the than the uh, Farallon terrain. Uh, shoot, sorry, the Okanagan terrain is is much larger in area today than the Kootenay terrain, but the process is the same. Big or small, terrain-wise, you're coming in and you're getting docked, just like a ferry is docking at the terminal. Now, I'm visualizing northern Washington right now because that's where those two terrains, the Kootenay and the Okanagan, are exposed. You remember our flood basalts of eastern Washington and how impressive they were and how deep they were. Remember, that was the German chocolate cake that's up to three miles thick in places. Those flood basalts are a problem for us with this episode. They're covering up terrain material. So when I talk about the Kootenai and the Okanagan terrains, I'm visualizing northern Washington because the flood basalts didn't get that far north. They didn't cover them up there. But the point is, we have terrains extending underneath all of the flood basalts of southeastern Washington, and nobody has a good idea of the southward extent of the Kootenai and Okanagan. We can project, but there's so much basalt that we just, we just lose it. And there's a couple drill holes here and there to help us kind of get a sense, but it's a big question mark. I hope this is working for you. Well, now 150 million years ago, we've had 50 million years of accretion, and how has Washington changed? Well, suddenly the west coast of Washington is not at Spokane, John Stockton's house. You're not going to be surfing at John Stockton's house. You're going to be surfing suddenly 150 million years ago in Omak or Tenasket or Pateros. That's where the coast is. Well, why? Well, we added all that material. We accreted those terrains. And that old shoreline continues down into Oregon, continues up to B.C., but again, there's problems. Trying to figure that out because of younger geology concealing that. That's always the trouble. When you're talking about geology this old, there's been so much stuff that's gone down since that time to screw things up, to bury things, to cut things, to shear things, uh, that, you know, it's, it's like a, it's, an old, it's a murder that happened decades ago as opposed to last Tuesday, and so the evidence is not as fresh. But you can still occasionally figure things out. You just have to be a little bit more crafty about it. Let's finish this train of thought because this seems to be working, at least in my head at the moment. Now, I'm going to cheat and say that between 150 million years and 80 million years ago. Now, how can I do this? I'll do this. Um, the next terrain to come in is the quote-unquote North Cascades terrain. I'm blushing right now. That's how much of a bold-faced lie that is. But let's just, let's just finish our little story here, okay? So the coastline's at Omak. It's at the edge of the Okanagan terrain that was added 150 million years ago. And the next terrain to come in is the quote-unquote North Cascades terrain, which is a lot of land. And so by 80 million years ago, now the West Coast is at Seattle. 
And you're, if you're not from Washington, you're like, oh, okay, well, I guess we're done then. Seattle's at the coast. Ah, Seattle's not actually at the coast. I know there's salt water at Seattle, but if you look at a map, Puget Sound is not the coast. It's not the ocean, op open ocean. But for those that know the Pacific Northwest, the west coast of the Northwest is now at I-5, Interstate 5, Bellingham, Everett, Seattle, Olympia, Portland, Eugene, etc. That's the coast because of adding the quote-unquote North Cascades terrain. Let me finish the story and then I'll fess up. The last terrain to come in is Silesia. We've talked about it two episodes ago. Huge shield volcano built off of the coast and added roughly 50 million years ago. Silesia is the last terrain to add. We've not, re we've not accumulated any more exotic terrain crust since Silesia. So adding Silesia 50 million years ago essentially gets us to the present coastline. Small print, there's a bunch of sedimentary material that came in gradually to build much of the Olympic Peninsula. Listen to that episode to remind yourself of that. But for the most part, we've done it. We've built Washington in four major episodes, Kootenai accretion, Okanagan accretion, North Cascades, quote-unquote, accretion, and Silesia. Now, let's get into the complications. Feeling okay? Oh, great, let's dismantle that. <laughs> Not my intention, but I'm afraid I, I can't just stop here. I got I to gotta say these, these problems, basically. So what's with the, quote-unquote, North Cascades? Well, there are easily three dozen separate terrains within this area called North Cascades. We talked about three of them just yesterday, our last episode. The nice north of Wenatchee, the granite of Mount Stewart, the serpentinite near Mount Stewart. Those are three of the dozens and dozens of terrains that have been mapped in the North Cascades. There's two reasons I'm lumping them all together in this thing called North Cascades. Well, first of all, you can just kind of build Washington in four major chapters, and, you know, if it's middle school or something, I suppose everybody's happy. I don't know. Are you ever really happy in middle school? Don't answer that. That's a rhetorical question. But there's another reason that I'm cheating here and calling everything North Cascades. Are you ready? Much of the material in the North Cascades was not accreted at its current latitude, was not accreted in Washington. Much of the terrain material in the North Cascades was accreted in Mexico. And then since that accretion has been moved northward, Thousands of miles. Okay, where's the off button on this podcast? Are you, are you reaching for it right now? It sounds like I'm making this stuff up. What did I just say? I'm trying to describe something called Baja BC. It's a concept that's been around for 50 years now. And there was a geology professor named Merle Beck at Western Washington University who first proposed it. He was looking at the granite of Mount Stewart just north of Ellensburg. And he was studying Mount Stewart's granite 
for a paleomagnetic signature. And this concept of paleomagnetism is difficult for many. I may get bold enough to do a lecture on it because I think people are inherently interested in it and they're also um, bothered by it. Have you heard there's magnetic reversals? So obviously all this paleomagnetic stuff is not uh, accurate because, uh, you know, the Earth's magnetic field has been moving and flipping. So uh, check that off your list of bogus ideas. Well, guys like Merle Beck have know certainly well, better than, better than you, buddy, with the gravelly voice, uh, of the changes in magnetic field. But there's ways to double check, which I don't understand, double check all this through time. And the main point is the paleomagnetic signature of the granite of Mount Stewart tells geologists like Merle Beck that that granite crystallized in Mexico, not in northern Washington. And it's not just that granite. It's a lot of different kinds of rocks that have iron particles that align themselves with the Earth's magnetic field. And you can restore the ancient latitude of that uh, geologic body when it crystallized, when it formed. Even in sedimentary rocks, you can do this with iron particles. The iron particles align themselves to the magnetic field. You can use that fossilized magnetic field orientation to restore that rock to its present to its original location, not its present location. That make any sense? <laughs> well. Like many crazy ideas or outlandish or uh, uh, impossible to accept ideas, Beck uh, was uh, laughed out of the room in many places. And amongst certain circles, he's still laughed out of the room. But I've done as much reading as I can, and we've interviewed Merle and a few others that are tied to this uh, ongoing saga. And I'm now teaching Baja BC in my classrooms. I think there's enough field evidence to make it reasonable. So I only want to touch on it here. We might go more in-depth with this down the road if you like. But those terrains in the North Cascades have a more complicated history than simply just doggy paddling in off of the ocean and docking uh, at Leavenworth or at Twisp or up the Metau Valley. Instead, they doggy paddled and added in Mexico and then crossed the border, insert laugh track, and then got all the way up here to northern Washington. And you're like, well, is it just a Washington story? Well, no. We're talking about stuff that's in current British Columbia that was added in Southern California, and so on and so on. This is a major way to view much of the American West. I'll give you a little sneak peek in case you're curious. I'm thinking that future podcast episodes will be on certain topics that I've done public lectures on in the past or are currently working on. That's an interesting thought. And just try to give you a feel for where we are with some of this research. It's fascinating and unresolved in many cases, including this Baja BC thing. All right. So did we do something here? And how can we finish this story? Well, what have we done so far today? Uh, tried to build Washington piece by piece in four major chunks. We know about the role of exotic terrains. Uh, we've commented on the fact that at least the North Cascades portion, and by the way, not the earlier stuff. 
So the Okanagan and the Kootenai, which are further east in Washington, appear not to be part of this Baja BC story. I'll, I'll give you a little bit more, actually. So the Baja movement, if you're willing to listen, maybe you've already clicked off, but if you're still with us, uh, this business of moving uh, 2,000 miles to the north uh, has to happen during a certain time window. The movement north of these terrain pieces uh, from Mexico start uh, about 85 million years ago. And everything's up here by roughly 60 million years ago. So if you do some math and you've got 25 million years to play with, 85 million to 60 million years ago, and you've got your 2,000 miles, it works. It wor what do I mean it works? Well, if you look at the movement, the northward movement of the piece of California along the San Andreas Fault that is moving every time there's a big earthquake, it moves 20 feet on average every, every big earthquake. That's the kind of geologic phenomenon that allows for 2,000 miles of movement to the north. I mean, it, obviously, everybody can agree, it, doesn't it? It sounds outlandish. You can take something in Mexico and, and suddenly have it in Washington. But it's not suddenly. It's 25 million years of time. And during that window of time, 85 to 60, when we have this Baja BC movement of many of these scraps of exotic terrain that were added in Mexico... If you have strike-slip movement, if you have transformed plate boundary movement, if we have basically a bunch of San Andreas faults doing their thing, you're moving the western side of the fault north 20 feet every time. And if you study the San Andreas fault like we did a few episodes ago, it's not the whole piece of California that's moving 20, 20 feet at a time. It's segments of the San Andreas fault doing this. So this is going to take a long time. But there's plenty of evidence for this kind of uh, right lateral motion along these transform plate boundaries or these strike-slip faults uh, throughout the American West. In other words, the general plate tectonic regime allows for this kind of movement. And you might go, well, wait a minute. I thought the Farallon plate was the main thing moving east. Uh, that is the main story. But there was another oceanic plate offshore called the Kula Plate, K-U-L-A. And it's the Kula Plate that is the key for this Baja BC movement. The Kula Plate was also offshore. And there's still a little bit of uh, reconstruction problems trying to figure out exactly at which snapshot in time these ocean plates appear. That was an awkward way of saying that. Let me try that again. We do have maps of these ocean plates, the Kula and the Farallon, at different time windows during Baja BC time. But the Kula plate is gone, and most of the Farallon plate is gone. So you're trying to reconstruct these things that no longer are with us. But you're reconstructing these plates based on things that have been accreted, among other things. And so the key message is, Yes, the Farallon Plate was moving east and bringing a bunch of terrains to the edge of North America, but at the same time, if you're far enough north and on this Kula Plate story, the Kula Plate was essentially moving north. You had an oceanic plate moving north and allowing this northward movement along strike-slip faults. 
What am I really trying to say? I'm trying to say that many of the exotic terrains in Washington were not accreted in Washington. We all know that terrains came from somewhere else. Hell, they're called exotic terrains. But there's like this second step necessary for many of the terrains of the North Cascades. The first step is accreting them to North America, but the second step is shifting them north to their present location. Fascinating stuff. And there are faults like the Straight Creek Fault in Washington, right through the North Cascades terrain country, that clearly moved a bunch of terrains 100 miles. That's just 100 miles. That's not, that's not the 2,000 miles necessary for this full-scale Mexico to um, northern Washington story that we're peddling here. But locally within the North Cascades, just take one fault. Take one strike-slip fault called the Straight, uh, the Straight Creek Fault. It was active between 50 and 35 million years ago and produced 100 miles of offset. So there's work to be done to continue to work with these units that used to be together and now are offset by these strike-slip faults, therefore giving us these fault mechanisms that allow us to do this kind of movement. And you know the problems already. We're too far back in time to have fresh stuff. We've got all this glacial material, the Ice Age floods, the flood basalts, all sorts of other things to mess up our pattern, to conceal the geology that we need. So you're in the North Cascades, or you're in the Wallowa Mountains of northeastern Oregon, or you're in the Klamath, or the Siskiyou Mountains of southeastern Oregon, northern California. There's just little windows into the Mesozoic that you have to work with. The Rim Rock in Lyre near Yakima. And then you do a lot of dashed lines between those locations. But it's one of those topics that continues to fascinate many people. And they're at these geologic conferences, plenty of back and forth, I'm afraid, sometimes ugly. Although less so now than it used to be. I'll finish with this, with this exotic terrains of Washington discussion. Back to the Farallon plate subducting beneath us. Do you have a visual? Have you drawn yet a tectonic cross-section? Let me do it for myself as I ask you if you've done it. Um, I'm drawing a tectonic cross-section. I'm drawing an oceanic plate, a skinny oceanic plate, moving from left to right and diving underneath the other plate. I'm going to put arrows on these. These are two arrows that are coming together. I've got a, a diving ocean plate on the left, and I've got a uh, continental plate on the right. That's North America. The ocean plate is Farallon. Okay. What's the main feature I'm going to draw along the coastline of the continent? This is a convergent oceanic versus continental plate boundary, is it not? Yes. What's the main thing I'm going to draw? That's right. I'm going to draw a big cone volcano. I'm going to draw a big cone volcano about 100 miles inland from the, from the oceanic trench where the ocean plate is diving beneath the continent. That's a volcanic arc fueled by subduction of the oceanic plate. Cartoonish stuff, geology 101 all the way. Great. Now, aren't we talking about that today? Aren't we talking about that oceanic plate being the Farallon plate diving beneath North America? Yes, we are. Well, doesn't that mean there's been a cone volcano the whole time? Yes, there is. Or yes, there was. Oh, 
But wait a minute. We're adding to this sketch, aren't we, as I'm adding right now, as I'm drawing in front of me. I'm adding gumdrops on the top of the Farallon plate. I've got to find somebody to animate this. I've got to make a simple animation. It shouldn't be that hard. Hey, are you an animator? Email me, would you? Nick at geology.cwu.edu. I've got a little bit of money. I'll pay you to animate this thing. What am I going to animate, you say? Well, ocean Farallon plate diving beneath continental North America. Puff, 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 big cone, big Mount Rainier-like cone. 100 miles inland off the coast of North America. Oh, but wait, we're going to do more than that. We're going to have these giant gumdrops on the Farallon plate, inching closer and closer to the edge of North America. Oh, what are we going to do now? We're going to add. We're going to accrete one of those gumdrops. We're going to smoosh it on to the leading edge of the North American plate, showing that North American plate is going to gain real estate, that Washington specifically is going to gain real estate. But here's the main thing you're going to help me with, Miss Animator 2018. I've seen your awards. You're going to take that Mount Rainier and you're going to kill it. You're going to snuff it out. It's going to stop puffing. In fact, it's going to start crumbling away. And the magma chamber below that Mount Rainier is going gonna, is gonna to turn black. It's going to go stone cold. And you're like, why you, why'd you do that? Why am I showing that? Do you have the answer? We just added a big terrain, didn't we? We just lifted a terrain off of the ocean floor and we added it to the edge of North America. Aren't we going to move the trench? The answer is yes. Are we going to move the trench? Let's say we bring the Okanagan terrain in like we did 150 million years ago. That's, uh, let's make up a number. That's um, uh, 100 miles across by 100 miles north-south. I guess that would be 100 square miles, wouldn't it? That's a block of crust, 100 square miles, that we're going to add to northern Washington. That means we're going to move the trench 100 miles further to the west. We're going to jump the trench, which means we're going to start subducting the Farallon plate further west, which means what? We're going to have a new location of Mount Rainier, like Cone. We're going to jump the position of Mount Rainier 100 miles to the west. Does this make sense to anyone? Is this making sense to anyone? <laughs> I need an animation for this. I've been teaching this for 20 years, and every time I give this lecture, I say, i got to find an animator to do this, and then, of course, I forget about it. But that's the concept that we need. Through time in Washington, we are marching the Cascade Volcanoes to the west. 100 miles at a time, or 50 miles, or here's a jump of whatever. And we're jumping the position of those active volcanoes because we keep adding to the size of Washington because we add a terrain. And when we add the terrain, we shift the possession of the trench, therefore we shift the possession of the, the position of the active cones.
It's the best I can do with my words. A very simple but elegant animation would do the trick in just a few seconds, and everybody could see it easily. That works for the Pacific Northwest. And to be honest, that works. Why, has this ever, I forget if I asked this question with the, uh, I said ass. I forget if I asked this question when we were talking about the Cascades. I think maybe I did. So why do the Cascades only go back 40 million years if we've had 200 million years of subduction off the coast of Washington? And here is the answer. The answer is, yes, we've had 200 million years of subduction, but, not, but the trench is not up at the same place the whole time. The trench has been jumped every once in a while rather aggressively to the west because of an accretion of a terrain. And therefore, we keep killing volcanic arcs and building new ones 100 miles to the west. And it's not an accident that the last big accretion was Silesia, and not long after that, the Cascades started to grow where they are still standing today. Gosh, I hope that works for you. Another difficult episode to conceptualize, but we're this late in the game with these concepts, and so all I can do is hope. That's all we have, friend, is hope. I just talked to some new grad students who are from all over the country, and uh, it's that typical first day thing. So I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm over 55 now. I get a lot of enjoyment seeing a young person with their whole lives ahead of them. And I want to help you build a life for yourself. They didn't know what to say. <laughs> they didn't laugh, that's for sure. They didn't get what I was trying to say. I was kind of mocking old people, and at the same time, I am an old person. So I guess the joke's on me. Is the joke on you? Of course not, because you've been listening to the Nick Zentner Geology Podcast, recorded here in the bowels of Samuelson Building, Samuelson Hall, Samuelson something here on the campus of Central Washington University. Thanks for listening. Next up, Liberty Gold.